0: Welcome to Black and Proud, a weekly podcast that sets out to educate, enlighten, and entertain you by sharing stories about the Black race. Raging from politics to sports, pop culture to modern history, these stories will tell of perseverance and resilience, tragedy and heartache, bravery, triumph, and overcoming. I'm your host, Anthony McNeil, and I welcome you to share this journey with me as I explore what it truly means to be Black and Proud. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number three of the Black and Proud podcast. It is me, your boy Anthony McNeil. I appreciate you tuning in and listening to the podcast. Before I get into today's topic about Black Wall Street, I ask a favor of you. If you learn one thing from this podcast, can you please share that newfound information with at least one other person? After all, that's how this podcast came to be. I discovered some new information, but instead of sharing it with one, I decided to share it with the masses. Now, let's go ahead and jump into today's story about Black Wall Street. What is Black Wall Street? It was a 35 block area, also known as Little Africa, located in the Greenwood district of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was named Little Africa because it was the most affluent all black community in America at that time. Inside this district, there were luxury shops. Restaurants, movie theaters, a library, pool halls, nightclubs, you name it. They had everything here. And the cool thing about it, every business in the Greenwood District was 100% black owned. The area was made up of many former slaves and people that were looking to escape the racial oppression post the Civil War. And thanks to something called the Dow's Act, which had to do with Indians receiving land in order to become U.S. citizens from the government. Blacks were impacted by this act because many of them lived in territories within the Indian tribes. And if you were a freed slave living within some of these tribes through other acts that were attached to the Dawes Act, you were entitled to some of this land that was being handed out by the federal government. Well, one of the gentlemen that was able to get some of this land was a gentleman by the name of Ottawa Gurley or O.W. Gurley, who was a wealthy black landowner. He was born to freed slaves in Huntsville, Alabama, and he grew up in the Pine Bluff, Arkansas area. And in 1893, Gurley participated in one of these land rushes. And he bought a lot of land in Noble County, which he later ended up selling. Well, he end up, he and his wife ended up moving to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is where he purchased 40 acres of land. And he later named those 40 acres Greenwood, which became the Greenwood district. He was the first black business owner inside of Greenwood back in 1906. His first business that he opened was a boarding house for blacks. He later teamed up with a gentleman by the name of J.B. Stratford, another wealthy black man at the time, who was also a former slave from Kentucky who had moved to the area. Self-educated, he became a lawyer and an activist. And in 1889, Mr. Stratford moved to the Greenwood District. And he did something that to me, I, I find it to be extremely incredible given the time frame that we're talking about. Mr. Stratford built a 55-room luxury hotel, one of the largest in the country for a black at that time. Stratford and Gurley were under the belief that in order for black people to prosper, they needed to pull their resources together. So the two of them came together and they would start giving loans to other blacks that wanted to start a business in the Greenwood District. Now, think about this for a second. Here you have two black men back in the early 1900s when you had massive racial oppression, all kinds of racial tension going on. Think about the determination, the resilience, and the hustle That these gentlemen had to have in order to overcome all the things that they needed to overcome in order to do what they did. Why can't we do that today? How come black people can't come together like that and pool our resources together and accomplish something as great as what these men did back then? We don't have. Yeah, we have hurdles to overcome today. But it's nothing compared to what these guys had to overcome in order to do what they did. Let me know what your thoughts about that is. Shoot me an email at anthony at blackandproud.co. A interesting side note about Mr. Stratford. His dad name was Caesar, which was a name given to him by his slave master. And while he was still a slave, his slave master's daughter befriended Caesar and taught him how to read. By 1863, Caesar was well able to read. And one of the things that he started to read was the Emancipation Proclamation. And as a result, he ended up petitioning his his slave master for his right to freedom. And one day he was traveling with his master to um, Stratford, Ontario. And lo and behold, his slave master decided to grant him his freedom. Well, Caesar decided to change his last name to Stratford after the city in Ontario, but he changed the T in Stratford to a D. Just an interesting side note about Mr. Stratford's dad. Now, the Greenwood District, like I said, it it started to boom. It was pretty much self-sufficient. By 1921, there had been roughly 10,000 blacks that had moved to the district, and there were all types of businesses. Like I said, luxury shops, restaurants, grocery stores, hotels. Jewelry and clothing stores, movie theaters, barbershops, salons. They even had their own post office and their own bank, their own hospital, their own bus and taxi service. It was 100 percent completely self-sufficient. Now, again, that's that's absolutely mind blowing when you think about the time that we're talking about. And here we are in 2021. And we as black people cannot accomplish the same thing. One of the things that I love about the the Greenwood story, and I think one of the things that made the, the area thrive so much. I came across some information that said that whenever money entered the Greenwood district, it would exchange hands among all the different businesses within the area. 19 to 36 times before it left back out the area. That's a tremendous economic impact that it would have on that area, which would would explain why it was allowed to flourish the way it was. But unfortunately, despite all of the growth that Greenwood was having. It all came to an end on June 1st, 1921. Now, like I said earlier, we're talking about the early 1900s. This was the height of the Jim Crow era. You had tremendous racial divide in the country in oklahoma and even around the greenwood district the whole saying the other side of the tracks came about because back then you had blacks that lived on one side of the train tracks and you had whites that lived on the other side of the train tracks and despite the booming economic growth that was going on in greenwood they still had to fight to overcome a lot of racial injustice that was going on in Oklahoma many of the whites who were poor whites at the time became enraged and envious because of the growth and the success that many of these black people in Greenwood were having now you got to remember at that time and hell even still today to a certain degree whites viewed the black race as the inferior race They viewed themselves as superior over the black race. So for them, it was like, how dare you niggas get more than we have? That was not supposed to be allowed at that time. And like I said, on June 21st, it all came to a head. It actually started a couple of days prior to that. There was a 19 year old delivery boy by the name of Dick Rowland. Somehow he ended up on an elevator with this 17-year-old white girl by the name of Sarah Page. I don't know how the two of them found themselves in this elevator together. But something took place on the elevator and the white girl started to scream. When the elevator stopped and the doors opened, they both took off running. Well, witnesses that saw this, you know, they reported it to the local paper at that time. And the paper ran a story the next day, which later turned out to be a bogus story, saying that Roland had assaulted Paige on the elevator. Well, unlike today, back then, they obviously didn't have social media or TVs or anything. So the way news spread was through the newspaper and through word of mouth. And you know when shit spreads word of mouth, it gets exaggerated and You never get the full story or the true version. It always expands a little bit as it goes from person to person. And that's what happened here. News started going around within the white community that Roland had assaulted this girl. He had raped this girl. He had did all these bad things to this girl. And these rumors started to incite and agitate this white community. On May 31st, Roland was arrested and taken to the local courthouse where he was held. When the white people in the area found out that Roland was being held there, a bunch of them grabbed their weapons and their firearms and they decided to go to the courthouse. And they demanded that the sheriff or the local police turn Roland over to them so that they could go out and lynch him. Now, this was not an uncommon thing back then, unfortunately, because a lot of the police officers and a lot of the law enforcement were just as racist as the people in the community. So it was not unheard of for law enforcement to turn people over, black people over to these white crowds in order to prevent some type of riot or whatever from happening. Well, word got back to some of the black residents in Greenwood that this crowd of white people were at the courthouse and they were looking to lynch this 19 year old black boy. A group of men from Greenwood grabbed their firearms and they went to the courthouse to try to protect Roland. When they got there, an altercation took place between themselves and some of the whites. Shots were fired. And some of the research that I found said that a couple of people on both sides were shot and killed. The problem was there were more whites than there were blacks at the courthouse. So the black gentlemen, they all retreated back to Greenwood on the other side of the train tracks. The next morning on June 1st, 1921, roughly a thousand white men went to Greenwood and they started to shoot and kill any black people that they saw. They also started setting fires to all of the businesses, to the homes. And within 24 hours, this booming black owned community was gone. It was completely destroyed. Now, in the research that I found, it said that at the time, 39 people were reported as being killed, 39 blacks. But there was a commission put together. Back in the 1990s, early 2000s, I believe. And they determined that the number was closer to 300 blacks that had been killed during the Tulsa massacre. The unfortunate thing about this is that after all of this happened, Dick Rowland was never charged. All charges was dropped against him because it was later proven that nothing happened on the elevator. And to this day, there has not been a single white person held accountable for what took place on June 1st, 1921. At any government level, local, county, state, federal, there has never been any charges brought against anyone. That commission that started back in the 90s or early 2000s, they dug up or they received information from some people that may have still been living at the time that were witnesses. And the witnesses said that there were trucks that came into the area that would load black bodies into these trucks and they would take them and bury them in mass graves. Now this commission, and I believe the mayor of Tulsa at the time, they were trying to find out where these grave sites were at so that they could Go in and dig up the the remains of these people and try to bring some type of closure to this whole incident. I don't know where that stands, but think about that, man. That's 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 a crazy story. I mean, all because of a rumor and some little girl screaming years of work just gone down the drain. A side note regarding Mr. Gurley, he and literally thousands of other blacks that lived in the area of Greenwood were arrested. Uh, Mr. Gurley was able to get out of jail with the help of Mr. Stratford, and he later left the area and moved to California with his wife, and he started a a second hotel there in the California area before he passed in the 1930s, I believe it was. Yeah, this is a crazy story, man. Um, I enjoyed doing the research on this and and learning because there was a lot of things about this story that I didn't know. I would love to know what you think. Please shoot me an email once again at anthony at blackandproud.co. Or you can leave me a comment if you're on my website, blackandproud.co. And let me know what you think. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.